Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello, TSF family, and welcome to episode 11 of season six of This Spiritual Fix. Today, we are going to be re-looking at abandonment in our Primal Wounds re-upping series. And there's a whole bunch of new content here at the beginning of the episode, as well as a replay of the original. Enjoy. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. Hi, Anna. Hey, Christina. How, how are you? Here we go again. <laughs> oh. <laughs> We're just, this is going to be like a really wonderfully, like observant expression of the primal wounds <laughs> um is it <laughs> i don't know well if you're an old listener you know that two years ago we launched the primal wound series and if you're a new listener this might be the first time you're hearing about the primal wounds but the primal wounds is what we used to call the the crying podcast because we <laughs> cried like at recording every episode and essentially yeah. the concept is there are five primal wounds that we are all born with and we all have. And it's essentially a way to like dissect and understand better our personal flavor of suffering. You know, some of us perceive events differently than others. We wear our masks differently than others. And each wound has its corresponding mask, which is this front we put onto the world to basically negotiate and protect ourselves from experiencing one of these five primal wounds, which are abandonment, betrayal, rejection, humiliation, and injustice. And we're going to start again where we started last time with my favorite wound, the wound that loves me the most, abandonment. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Indeed we are. So that's really exciting. It's a, it's a, I mean, no, it's not really exciting. Let's be honest. It's, um, it sucks. <laughs> well, I well, I have this really deep appreciation for the experience of that the primal wounds have given me. Like I feel like more so than I mean that and the the father and the mother wound. Like they really have just like genuinely changed me so significantly in the last two years that like as difficult as they feel, like if there's material there. Like, I'm like, sure, let's do something about it. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I, I could say that since we did the deep work of working on our primal wounds and then airing the show about them, which in essence was going through it again, and then listening and editing the episodes, which was like a third time. So I feel like we had a triple dose of the primal wounds two years ago. And that triple dose has really, like my husband says, I'm so different. I've changed a lot. I'm, 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 I'm so much more settled in myself. I'm so much more patient. I'm so enlightened. No, just kidding. Not Uh, enlightened, but my triggers are less frequent. The intensity is shorter, less things, less things have control of my happiness. I could say. Yeah. Yeah. Not to say I'm like totally enlightened and totally, you know, happy all the time or anything like that. But I feel like I have a way better understanding of my own suffering its causes and its way of alleviating its suffering exactly suffering (laughs) and so much has changed since that time like we just even in the podcast itself like talk about the first season and we did the problem wounds towards the end of the first season and we were just getting our feet under us so we say it's a serial and I always think it's funny because you know they listened to the beginning and I feel like I was so lacking confidence back in those days, you know, and then it took like the podcast kind of getting, getting some people and getting some feedback for me to really find, actually it took the drama triangle. It took the second season for me to like really start speaking in a different manner with a different level of confidence. And then the third season going in the mother wound, the fourth season going in the father wound and in the fifth season talking about the money wound. We have more tools in our sack to kind of address the wounds as they arise. And I feel like we excavated so many layers of them. And like, it's like an onion peel. It's a new day, a new new me, new you. And and the wounds still come up, but in different ways and, and often more subtle since, since doing all that stuff. So I thought we could start the episode just if I could ask you, like in what ways over the last two years have you seen your abandonment wound shift or heal or whatever you want to call it? Yeah. Okay. So the biggest one was, it's funny because I haven't talked about my ketamine experiences on the podcast and I haven't talked about the plant medicine ceremony that I did back in May when I went to Costa Rica, I did an ayahuasca plant medicine ceremony. And it's funny because I just like, haven't talked about it on the podcast and I'm not sure why, but I think that in some ways I was kind of waiting for a psychedelic series but I want to talk about what happens in May because it really speaks to the abandonment, my experience of abandonment. So for those of y'all who haven't heard and haven't followed along, the abandonment wound for me has been kind of my original wound in the sense that like I always like even before I had any clue what the what the primal wounds were, I had no idea what they were. And as I was growing up, I was like, I, abandonment is my thing. Like, I'm always worried about that. I like, just remember that continual thought, like abandonment's my thing. Abandonment's my thing. Like, it was just my thing because when my mom passed away, like she was like my, my advocate, she, you know, for better or worse, I was her golden child. And therefore she was like the kind of main thing. And then when she passed away, like I became the scapegoat. Like it was just really, and that's a very easy and simplified story for something that has a lot more complexity and nuance, but that's the kind of gist of it. And the funny thing is, is that if y'all like, y'all know, if y'all been listening, like I dream of everything in anybody. I go into other people's dreams. Like my dream state is incredibly important to me. 
in terms of, and, and it's a, it's a very powerful state for me. And it's also, and, and so is like my imaginary field. Like, so is like experience I have, like for the most part, I can tap into a lot of different things with my psychic vision, just like Anna can. It's like, you know, it's just whatever has happened as a result of that. But the fascinating thing about this is that since my mother died, now it's 34 years ago, I can honestly say that I have dreamt about her maybe twice in my life. Once I dreamt about her when I was a teenager and I dreamt that she had been reborn in another life. I remember her being reborn as a Parisian. And then I remember having this really disturbing dream in which she was like a zombie at a, at a banquet that we were all at and everybody else was animated and she was just like dead eyed and almost like she was this terrible place. But in all of those different states and all those psychic states and everything that I've had, she's never come up in a reading of mine, except for maybe once there was like one experience I vaguely remember, but like never come up ever. Like she just doesn't show up. She's not in my dream. She's not anywhere. And, you know, and in a lot of ways, I never even noticed the absence of that, right? Like it wasn't like I was like upset about it. And I was like, well, why isn't she showing up? It just never really happened. And so you know, fast forward to May and I'm, I'm at my first ayahuasca ceremony and that, and I will probably go into more detail about this if we do do kind of something on plant medicine later, but you know, it was the first ceremony and I was really, really nervous. Mostly I was nervous because I didn't want to stay up all night. <laughs> like I am such a little like comfort whore. I like want to sleep and I don't want to fast. Like I'm really, really like I I think of myself as like my sensitivities are very much easier to to manage when I've had sleep and when I've had food and when I go out of that I'm like afraid that I'm gonna like teeter off into this like kind of overload meltdown place that I can sometimes get into when I like haven't eaten or I haven't slept and so I was really worried about that and I was just like super nervous and it was a super magical experience we were, we were in the rainforest and I was with the three amigos. It was three of us. We had never done a ceremony before. And we were coming in at the tail end of an addiction rehab program that was using ayahuasca to do this. So they, it had just been like bumping, like it had been crazy, crazy processing that had happened in the two weeks prior to when we arrived. And so me and the other two amigos, like we're going to our ceremony and we were trying to get there early because we were like all super psyched out and really nervous. And it was funny because like the skies just opened up the only time it really rained, even though we were in the rainforest and it was like the beginning of the wet season, the skies opened up and made it so that we like couldn't even get to the temple because it was raining so hard for like 45 minutes, which was just indicative of this medicine, which is just like, we're going to, this is going to happen in the right timing. But the first time I took the medicine, I had a full dose and it was really, really thick and I went and sat down and I started feeling it immediately. And I immediately saw this image of this. It looked like the Virgin Mary and it had this huge like headdress and it had this huge kind of this massive ornamental, like gilded, almost like a halo sort of thing. But it looked like it was beaded. Like it would look like it was something that was like almost Elizabethan, but it was huge. And it was just super, super clear. It was just like right, right in my face. As soon as I closed my eyes, it was just there. And it was, it was so, so different than anything I had experienced in any of my psychic vision before. Cause I see things more in a, in a etheric space as opposed to like behind my actual eyes. And 
then I, that person, that thing disappeared. And then, in, and then I got a whole bunch of other people coming in and it was, it was kind of a, an interesting thing, but, you know, in general, my experience, like besides the whole purging aspect and things like that, my experience was not like really super vivid. Like I, I had a couple of things, but I was mostly unconscious of anything that was happening during it, which is also very strange for me. It was, it was a weird experience. And then the same, a similar thing happened the next time. But it was fascinating because I had gone into the entire thing with an intention to come to peace with my like inner misandrist, like the part of me that really hated aspects of the masculine because I was just angry at the corruption that they had, angry at all that different, all, like I was just so angry at the, at the masculine because I felt like it was always betraying. I had projected some of that onto my partner. I had projected that onto the world. And so, you know, coming into this, that was my intention. And it was a really, it, it was a kind of thing that I thought there would be a really obvious solution to, you know, like I kind of thought that it would be like really simple, but the medicine does not want to make it easy at all. And so I went through the two ceremonies that I was there to do. And by the time I got to the site at the end of the second one, I was just like, I still don't understand this. Like I still, there's no, I feel like I don't have a resolution for this. I had had that one vision. I had had a couple of things. The second night I had experienced a lot of like hesitation around, I like wanted to sing and dance, but it was like a very quiet environment. Like nobody was making a lot of noise and nobody was, there wasn't a lot of activity. And I was like really controlling myself because I didn't understand the kind of rules recognizing that that's very much so a kind of corruption of the divine masculine, which creates this boundary and kind of like pulls in on the feminine that wants to express itself. But so I came out of these things and I was just a little bit, I was just a little bit like, okay, that's great. Maybe, maybe my whole life is just like an ayahuasca trip and I didn't need to take the medicine to have that experience. <laughs> so two days later, I, was I had been feeling like a lot of really strong tension in my body, like a lot of pressure in my chest. And it was like, I'd been feeling it since the last ceremony. And every time I felt like that, I just had gone to write and it felt better. And then this one morning I woke up really early and I got this feeling again. And so I went and I started writing and then my body was like, I don't want to fucking write. <laughs> it was like, I don't want to have anything to do with writing. And it was like, it was just this very clear guidance that was like, put on your headphones, put on some music and go down to the river and go get in the water, right? It's like four o'clock in the morning, like five o'clock in the morning, something like that, but it was light outside. So I turn on this song and it's called You Can't Rush Your Healing. And it's like, it's an absolutely incredible song. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And it's like, it was like a fucking movie soundtrack like because it like has a really long lead into the song and it took that long like this it's the start of the song I was like walking down all these stairs to get down to the river and I like finally got to the river and the chorus of the song comes on and I just start bawling like I am just like in the river and I'm fucking so sad I am just like or not just releasing releasing everything into this river and I was like this massive cathartic release. And then after that, this song comes on called Panchamama, which is the Pachamamas, the indigenous like Mesoamerican goddess of mother, like mother earth, right? The, the kind of the Gaia of the Mesoamerica religions or culture. And 
I suddenly dawned on me that the woman who showed up in my very first vision was my mother. And I hadn't realized it until that very moment. I, in fact, assigned that identity. I was like, maybe it's the Virgin Mary. Maybe it's Hecate. Like, maybe it's all these different things. And I just started to realize like, no, that is like 100% my mother. And I, you know, I have to say that like the day before as like kind of a, it was interesting because we had gone to the beach the day before and one of my other two amigos was walking down the beach to come back to our group and he saw a group of people down the beach and there was like a woman who looked just like me and she was dancing and he had this massive smile on his face but he was passing our group and so I ran after him I was like John John come here and he's like oh my god I thought that was you I thought you were dancing on the beach and I was like oh I like felt really sad because I was like there's there was no part of me that wanted to dance on the beach that day and the next day when I was in the river I was just like dancing and singing and doing all this bits because I had realized that there was this massive abandonment in me of feeling abandoned by my mother for all those years. She never showed up. She never gave me guidance, no matter how many times I was devastated that I didn't have a mother and that she had left me and that she had never, and then she had never shown up. Like I have these fucking psychic abilities and my mother doesn't come back to like, talk to me. Like what the fuck? Like, you know, is she just not capable of doing it? Like what's happening? And I was so sad and so angry that that hadn't happened. And then I didn't even recognize her when she came here. And I realized that for me, my healing was all about the fact that I had, she was a representative of my divine feminine. Like she was an actress. She loved performing. She loved dancing. She was just this free spirit. And all those parts in me, I have fucking killed for years you know, because it's because it, she was vilified, right? So I vilified my divine feminine. And when I was able to like come to terms with my abandonment, the abandonment I had felt from her, but more often the abandonment I had done of my own divine feminine, right? Like that, that whole kind of really creative loves to perform, loves to kind of be the center of attention. I had abandoned that so heartily that like, I couldn't, like all of it just came rushing back to me in that moment. And I was like, holy shit. And for days I was on this just high of just like, I don't give a fuck what you think about me. I'm just going to do whatever. When I came back home, I came crashing down. And, but I've been slowly kind of working back to get to that point, recognizing that, you know, that was a huge part. Like I hadn't done the abandonment stuff so much when we did the primal wounds in the first year. And that, I feel like that experience for me, the abandonment wound and like this massive healing, which is not a, a total abandonment of self, but an abandonment of a very significant aspect of me, which is that divine feminine part was the self-abandonment I had been feeling as a result of feeling abandoned by my mother. So, yeah. Wow. You never told me that story. Did I never tell you that story? How the fuck did that happen? <laughs> I don't know. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot there. There is a lot there. There is a lot there. Yeah. And then, and then it's also simple stuff, right? It's like, but yeah, why don't you tell me something first? Oh, well, no. Well, and then, and then what, what did you see like in your day to day? Right. So that was an interesting one. That was this morning. Anna, the reason we're recording this today is because I feel like Anna's going to, well, she'll explain here in a minute, kind of the, the impetus of the learning that she had, which is what prompted us to, to finally 
record this episode because we, we really do follow our inspiration in that way. And she was telling me about this idea of like, we were talking about this idea of passing on the energy of wounds. And sometimes it like changes identity. Sometimes it's abandonment or injustice, but it's like this kind of passing on. And it was so fascinating because when she mentioned that, it was like, it all came as this massive insight because it was 9.15. Sunday is a work day for me because I have multiple sessions for people who need sessions on the weekends. And my husband still wasn't up. Like he was asleep and the kids were needing a ton of my attention. And I just needed an hour to like prepare for my sessions because it's part of like my longer practicums in which there's a lot of prep involved. And I was feeling completely abandoned by him. I was just like, he doesn't give a fuck. He's just there in bed. He's not doing anything. He's just, you know, like what, what is this? Like, he just doesn't care that like I'm up here, I'm taking care of the kids and I need to work. I was feeling incredibly that kind of codependent part. And then when he got up and and as a result of feeling abandoned, I was passing it on to my kids as a form of injustice, right? I was just like, you can get that. You don't ask me for everything. You know, like this whole, like this kind of like exasperated, like, why are you super dependent on me right now when normally you do all this stuff by yourself? Like, why are you asking me for my attention when I'm like, obviously trying to split my attention and not either doing any of them really well. And then when he finally got up, I completely ignored him and not completely, but I just kind of like, I wasn't like, I wasn't like silent treating, meaning see silent. I didn't do the silent treatment, but I was basically just started like frantically cleaning up because I want, and he was just like walking around the kitchen, like a zombie. Cause he had only just woken up and, you know, and I kept being like, well, I had less sleep and I had this and I, you know, and it, it just like brought up all these feelings of self-abandonment. And recognizing that like there was some charge inside of me that needed to release itself because it was ping-ponging back and forth between every single person, right? On one case with my kids, I was the victim and then I was the persecutor. And then as soon as he got up, I was the rescuer, but then I wanted to be the victim and I was just ping-ponging back between that, like using the drama triangle. And it wasn't until Anna and I were like texting back and forth, she's like, just feel it, that I was like, shit yeah so I went in the garden and I just like felt that feeling coming down and but we'll talk about that in a second what about you Anna well for me since we did the primal moons I feel like that and the understanding of the drama triangle which is the victim persecutor rescuer dynamic which Christina just talked about we have a whole episode on it but basically the idea is that we all want to be the victim because the victim gets to like suck energy from others. We're, we're like energy suckers and we get there by playing persecutor and rescuer. And then we get to play victim, right? And so the abandonment wound really loves to play the rescuer victim dynamic. And then, so it basically looks like I'm going to rescue you, rescue you, rescue you. And then wait for you to rescue me back. And when you ultimately don't, because you usually pick narcissists or assholes or selfish people or normal people that just can't read your mind. Crazy, crazy. You persecute them for not rescuing you. And then you get to play the victim that way, or you rescue, rescue, rescue. And then you complain like I rescued you. Martyrdom is like classic abandonment with victim trauma triangle energy, right? The martyr. So 
which I, which I knew very well. Oh gosh. Well, I could say that since doing this, this work two years ago, my martyrdom, my victimhood has gone down a lot. Like the frequency and duration intensity of the times that I'm just like, well, um, I guess I'll just do everything. <laughs> you know, like, that's my thing. Like, like, I, you know, if I'm cleaning or cooking and I see other people enjoy life, but I'm not me. <laughs> I say, all right, well then I'll just do everything. Or my husband asks me, Hey, can you find that TV show we want to stream? I don't know if it's on Hulu or Netflix. And I'm like, well, sure. I'll get up out of my chair and figure it out. Cause I guess I'll just the martyr here, you know, and, and I still do that sometimes, but that's like kind of how my abandonment wound on its subtle level shows through. But I have this very interesting dynamic with a friend. And it's almost like we're, I don't know what that toxic love affair they call it. I think they call it soul, soul twin flames, twin flames. Like I have yeah. like a twin flame kind of person in my life that we just have this very deep karmic thing. It's like, I owe her, I owe her so much of my spiritual path. And, and she's a great mirror for me because like our most toxic toxic patterns come up with each other mine being abandonment and hers being betrayal or injustice and it just it's just like a theme and she recently had something happen her sister had wanted me to re reach out to her and I was like skimming through old texts and just to see like do I even want to go in here or not and I was going through old texts and it was like the last text exchange we had she was just like I don't want to talk to you anymore because you're too needy. You're too clingy and too needy and you need too much. And I was like, really, really hurt. And I was really upset rereading that because I'm only telling my side of the story. So I'm aware that like her side of the story isn't being told. And I'm sure in her side of the story, I'm the, I'm the persecutor as well. I'm the villain, but like, you know, she would send me say something she wrote in French and my French sucks. And it would really take me a lot of time to read it because it's not my first language. And, and then I'd send her something say in English, which she speaks very well. And it, it would be even shorter and she wouldn't read it. So like, there was just so many times in our life where like, I felt in my mind, I'm the victim here because I go above and beyond for the friendship. I even read her shit in French, but she can't read my shit in English. And yet here she is telling me that I'm the clingy needy one. But when she has a needle request, I immediately, in my mind, I'm immediately fulfilling it. Okay. So, so basically it felt unfair. Like I'm getting basically blocked for being clingy and needy. And yet when I am made requests, comparable requests, I happily do them because I love this person. Anyways. It sent me into like an abandonment tizzy, like, and I, and I'm going for my walk and I basically like thinking I'm such a horrible person. I'm so needy. I'm so clingy. Even my friend thinks that I'm needy and clingy and God, I, I'm, I'm such a nuisance to everybody. And then I, I just decided I was just going to feel all that neediness. And then as luck would have it, Annie Lennox song, Walking on Broken Glass comes on. And she says something like, we were all made to suffer and you've abandoned me. And now it feels essentially like I'm walking on broken glass. Okay. Like that's the song. And I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to feed the demon. Like we talked about, like, I'm going to feed it like, like, 
we were born to suffer. And I decided to just completely fully feel abandoned. I was going to let myself feel abandoned by my friend, feel abandoned by God, feel abandoned by everyone who secretly thinks I'm needy and clingy and annoying and abandon myself. And I was just going to like go as deep into that feeling of abandonment as I possibly could because it needed to be fed. And I had this instinct, like this insight that the abandonment wound is not necessarily like me. It is this thing outside of me and it lives in all of us. Like if we talk about internal family systems, we have our many, many parts. I don't have an abandonment part in me. The world, it's like, it felt like the world has an abandonment wound part and it finds highways inside us to sneak in and and it because it wants to be expressed and it's going to go to great lengths to be expressed it 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 had me venture down this very crazy weird loop of like reading old whatsapp messages from years ago to get to the conclusion that i could bask in abandonment when i hadn't felt that way in in months to years and the abandonment wound just wants to be fed and i don't want to resist her i don't want to resist this. And so I fed it, meaning I let myself feel fully abandoned. Like I would just kept playing that, that song, Annie Lennox song until like, I felt that I had quenched the thirst of abandonment. She wanted to be fed. I fed her. I let her, I let her be felt. I let myself feel all of the nastiness of, of how it feels to be abandoned. And when it was over, I felt her saying, thank you. And she left like, like it was like, it was like, thanks. You fed me. That's what I want. I want to be fed. I want to be felt. I want to be experienced. And because I let it happen without resistance, she was able to leave and I didn't do it. So she would leave. That's like, that's the whole thing. Like, it's kind of like, I can't do this thing to change my partner. Like, oh, if I do this, my partner will change. If you do it with the motivation for your partner to change, they'll never change. Right. It has to be like authentic. And so I authentically gave myself to the abandonment wound. I'm not going to say my abandonment wound either. I want to say the abandonment wound in the capital T because I feel like she exists in all of us because she is like a queen somewhere residing in the collective unconscious. And I fed her. And just as quickly as she arrived, she left. And I started thinking, you know, Buddha says suffering is the food which propels us forward from one birth to the next. And that without suffering, we have no reason to reincarnate. And what if these five primal wounds are some sort of entity of suffering that exists independent of us and they are our food. And it, I don't have an abandonment wound part. I just have, I just have my parts and, and the abandonment wound finds a way to, to get into me because she needs, she needs to be fed. I mean, that was just the feeling I had. So then the interesting thing in all of this is, and in the most like how this work translates to like practical shit is last night, we have this thing that's summer break. And I tell my kids, you can stay up till midnight. I sleep out of bed at nine or 10. And I'm like, but here's the deal. If you're going to stay up till midnight, you got to put yourself to bed. I'm not going to supervise the snacks, the teeth, the bed, the potty the tucking in, like you're on your own for that. If you want to be cool, you know, in quotes and go to bed at midnight, you know, you're going to do it on your own. And in return, you have to stay quiet because other people are sleeping. So I went to bed at like nine 30, 10. 
Come 11 o'clock, they're screaming. I get up and I say, you have to be quiet. If you're going to stay awake till 12, you've got to let me sleep. 1130, same shit. Finally at 12, they wake me up for the third time and I get out of bed and I yell at them and I say, that's it. You lost your opportunity to stay up late. You're going to bed now. It's midnight. And from here on out in the summer, you're only going to bed at 10 o'clock. You lost your privilege. And I was pissed. And I and I had went to sleep and I had really shitty sleep because the adrenaline of that kept me up for another hour or so. And then my dog, my senior dog was hacking his lungs out. And then fast forward, when I woke up, I told myself when those kids wake up, I'm going to fucking reject their little asses. I'm going to make them feel like shit for waking me up. And I'm going to screw in the, the message home that you are not going to bed at midnight anymore. You lost it. And I was going to punish them through my rejection of what they did and hurt them essentially. Like, like I'm not an abusive person. I'm not going to cuss at my kids, but yeah, I wanted to make them feel. And I know it sounds really fucked up, but, but it's just because I'm very conscious of my thoughts. I think we all do this shit. Right. But I was very conscious of like, I want them to feel rejected because of what they did, because they abandoned me last night. I was alone in my bed wanting to go to sleep and they abandoned me to, you know, they didn't take care of my needs. They didn't rescue me. And I'm the victim here. Well, anyways, so fast forward, I had fed the abandonment wound with a capital T and I suddenly no longer wanted to go home and do that to my kids. I had fed the abandonment wound. I didn't need to transfer that energy into the drama triangle and then reject my children. So basically when they woke up one by one, I sat them on my knee. We had a nice talk. I said, look, I'm sorry. I raised my voice last night, but I want you to know that staying up late is a privilege. And in order to have that privilege, you have to be mature. And to be mature, you have to understand that you have to stay as quiet when other people are sleeping. So you've shown me that you aren't ready for this and we'll try again in a few months or maybe next summer, right? Okay, I was nice about it. I was the cool I was a cool mom. <laughs> the point being is like my my energy was totally different. Whereas previously I would have come home and be like, you guys know that you don't get to stay up at midnight tonight because y'all fucked up. Like I wouldn't say fucked up, but you know, I would have been all nasty about it and, yeah. and drama triangle about it. Like I'm a victim here, but I was able to come back and be a coach about it versus be the the persecutor. Yeah. And I would agree. And and when you started to say that to me, that's when I was recognizing with my own morning, how it was almost like, like I, the way that I describe and wounds is that they're a package of energy. That's a combination of a memory, a bit of trapped energy or stuck energy and a bit and belief. Right. And, and because of that connection, because of that package, that package has a charge which means that it wants to find, it wants to be neutralized. Like it's not happy and content being in that kind of charged state. And so it uses the drama triangle to skip around, to try and find a way to neutralize itself, to be released, right? So we pass, it's like, we pass our pain on and we pass our pain on. The funny thing being the fact that like, we don't actually ever get rid of our pain, right? But we're still trying to like pass it on to everybody else. It's only when we like, are able to sit with it, we can turn it into what it needs to be, which is we release the energy. So it becomes free energy. We turn the memory into just a, a facts, you know, like facts of things that happen to us that don't have charge. And then we, the belief turns into some form of actual wisdom or insight. And 
you know, what, what, what we were talking about this morning, Anna, is that like, what it's like the band to your point, it's like the abandonment wound wants to play its song and it's going to find anybody that it can place that like, it's going to use all the keys of the drama triangle and pass itself around as pain to like play its own song. Interestingly, when you were saying all of that stuff, Anna, I saw this image of like, you know, how like the quote unquote heathen gods. So they used to do human sacrifice to, to gods. And there's always been a level of sacrifice that happens to gods at some point in many, many different religions. And I just kept thinking that in some ways it's like, this is almost like, like when you sit there and you're like, okay, I'm going to feed you. It feels like that version of sacrifice. And even in, in Christianity, these primal wounds seem to all actually have quote unquote demons which is really interesting. So I just found out that the abandonment wound is called the orphan spirit, right? And there's like the spirit of rejection and there's a spirit of betrayal. And like in Christianity, that's apparently a thing, which I had no idea about. So just just a little wow. interesting level of complexity there. That's awesome. Yeah. And so how do you feed the demon for everybody? It's going to be different. Like we interviewed Matt Kahn last season. And one of the things he said to me when we had done recording, he said, you're a Husky and you don't need to have insights and you don't need to do processes as much as you need to get out and burn energy and run. So like that was really insightful, which so why, when I woke up this morning, all agitated and tired, I still like put on my sneakers and I was like, I'm just going to speed walk as hard as I can up this hill in, in my neighborhood, up and down it, up and down it to, to just crack myself, you know? So it's like, you can feed it in different ways. Like, do you need to expend energy? Do you need to maybe cry? Do you need to journal? Do you need to feed it by imagining yourself, giving it everything it wants? Like there's, there's different ways that you can go about feeding it that will help you uncharge it and, 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 and not resist it. So then you're not then playing this ping pong game of hurting other people to displace your pain. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's the process step of what we talk about of access, awareness, process, and remembrance. If you don't process, you're just passing your pain on to somebody else. So we're going to have you listen to our previously recorded episode from 2020 on the abandonment wound and tune in next week because for our short, we're going to be interviewing a listener just like you who went through their own journey of access, awareness, process, and remembrance to heal their abandonment wound and we get to hear their story. Good morning, Anna. Good morning, Christina. How are you? I am doing okay. It's early. It's early, but you are an <laughs> early bird and I'm all about being here for you early in the morning over Zoom as we are remote now with me off in the farm. How are you? Thank you for waking up early. Always, always. So <laughs> any anything new in your world? A lot of it paints me in a very unfavorable light. So maybe we should just go for it. Hey, I'm all about the unfavorable lights because I feel like it just like shows our awesome shadow selves, right? I have, okay. I am like, consider myself a very forgiving, kind room for a lot of allowance person. Yeah. But in this last few weeks, I've become extremely rigid regarding COVID uh, mm -hmm. safety. Yeah. Virus has mutated. I have a lot of sick, uh, sicker patients on my schedule. 
I just have like no room for socializing with people that are not following CDC guidelines and and not in the way that I think are appropriate. So I've had to make boundaries with people and I feel like a total bitch doing it. I feel in some ways I'm left with no choice. If I have to, if I have to put a scale and it says patients lives on one hand and hanging out with this person on the other, I have, obviously I'm going to choose my patient's lives and safety, but it's just a tough call to make when you kind of look like you are a psychopath, when you're trying to tell people who don't see the guidelines as that important, like, no, listen, I can't hang out with you. And I, and I think I've hurt feelings in doing this. Right. (sighs) And I don't really like who I am. I don't, I don't like, I don't like being a, as a codependent, I don't like making boundaries with people. I am not good at it because I don't have a lot of practice doing it. I come off as cold when I do it. You know, I I can't warmly make boundaries. I'm very just like, I can't, you know, and it's it's amazing. I don't like who I am. Like Leo's are very direct and I feel like I'm direct, which is great in a lot of ways. But when it comes to making boundaries and softening the blow, like you can't hang out with certain people. Uh, I come across as an asshole. So I haven't really liked myself this week, the last two weeks, but I am also trying to accept that I don't like myself. Yeah. That's a really good thing. Yeah. It's also, I mean, acceptance of yourself and the self-love for that is important. And I feel like sometimes maybe the harshness comes across because you, you created the boundary too late, right? Like you actually wanted to create it earlier but you never did because you didn't, because of the codependence, right? So by the time you're like, oh my God, I actually really have to put a wall up here. It's like people are, you know, yeah. It, it, I, right. I, I it's can like, totally makes sense. Yeah. It's like, kind of like when you, something bothers you, you don't say anything, you don't say anything, you don't say anything. And then suddenly you're like, well now just shut up, you know? That's so exactly. it's kind of like, I should have been clear what are your, you know, how do you feel about CDC guidelines? What exactly are you doing to stay safe? Like make it more conversational and, and kinder, but I didn't want to intrude. And then when it got to the point where it was clear that a certain people in my life were not following the rules, I'm just like, all right, I can't see you. Bye. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing. Most people do not have my patients' lives and my friendships or my social engagements in their balance scale. Most people by this point, a year after the, you know, a year, almost, almost exactly a year since all of this started here are experiencing different balances. They're saying it's my mental health and my sanity and my, all these different things versus the small chance that I'm going to do this when they have, they have better treatments already and they have a vaccine and they have all these different things and herd immunity is coming up. And you know what I mean? Like it's such an incredibly difficult calculation for anyone to make. Right how much they're putting into risk and to then have compassion for somebody else who has a much more rigid calculation in their head, like a much more rigid scale in their head. It's just a time for a massive amount of compassion. I think for healthcare workers, everyone listening who is a healthcare worker or knows a healthcare worker, we are still having to make the decision every single day when we go to work that people's lives are in our hands and for everyone else who's bored of the pandemic or ready to socialize, doesn't realize that the pressure has been on us more than any other field, I believe. And the pressure has not eased up. If anything, it's gotten worse. And it's just, it's really hard to explain to people 
you know, I can't have dinner with you. I just can't. I have to weigh my patient's lives. And they're like, well, they're going out to dinner. They're going to the gym. They're they're not seeing it. I would just say the pandemic is a really stressful time for healthcare workers, not just because of the weight we carry to not expose our patients, but because we also have to negotiate social boundaries with people who do not take this pandemic as seriously. And that is really fucking hard. I take my hat off to y'all all the time because you guys see, even if you don't directly see, even if you're not working in a COVID ward, you have still been taught and, and conditioned in a good way <laughs> to be aware of germs all the time and be aware of sanitary conditions all the time and be aware of the things that most of us just aren't aware of or don't care about or don't feel the bad consequences of or any of those different things. But for you, you understand entirely if you don't keep a sanitary field when you do something, then you can put somebody's life at risk. And you've, you know, and that's, that's, that's a level of empathy that we need to get. Like we can be all good and like cheer on people at the end of the day, like they used to do at the beginning of pandemic. But the real the real, you know, gratitude and acceptance of, of healthcare workers and the real understanding is developing the empathy and compassion for the balance scale that they have in their head every single day. It, it may not mean yeah. adopting it yourself because that's really intense. And I know a lot of people I've, I've recently seen so many people, uh, friends on social media, just being like, I have been sheltering in place for a year and I'm going crazy. I feel like a caged animal, just like all of these different things, right? Because they, you know, they are taking on the, you know, the stance of like, I'm not going to go out. I'm not going to do anything. And it's like, we're going to learn a lot about mental health from this pandemic. We're going to learn a lot about what we need to be okay and what it is that makes us happy and what it is that makes us okay. (laughs) What, what, What brings us above board so that we can keep our head above board at any given day. Um, especially if we're isolated with children or having to multitask or any of those different things. So thank you, Anna and other healthcare workers like you for keeping the balance scales in your head of how important it is to maintain safety. It's also important for you to understand when you feel comfortable creating those boundaries, right? Yeah. I think a lesson here for me is my husband says, I love this. He always He always says this to me when I'm being an asshole. Seek to be curious first and clarify first before jumping on the defense or attack. You know, that can be hard because sometimes you just keep swallowing, swallowing, swallowing your desire to communicate with someone clearly. And then it's clear that you're not in alignment with them. And then you're just like explosion. So I'm learning and it will be a never ending process, I'm sure that uh, I need to be more curious and a better communicator. But I also need to love and accept that I am the best version that I can possibly be of myself. And that is also a flawed person. And it's okay. Like I have my flaws and they're cute too. (laughs) And they're lovable too. Yeah, I need to just like keep accepting myself even when I'm an asshole. That's the thing. And, and knowing that the distinction of saying I'm an asshole is just a level of, it almost feels, it almost just feels like a level of, I actually feel totally true in my action, but other people are telling me that I shouldn't be. 
you are loving. It is an act of self-love for you to create a boundary. It is always an act of self-love in this dual world for you to create a boundary, right? And the more, and when you say, I need to become a better communicator, like, I feel like it's just another way of saying I need more self-love because I need to create that boundary sooner. I mean, okay, here's the thing. I shouldn't feel guilty about my boundaries. I should maybe not feel guilty, but I can understand that my delivery of the boundaries isn't the best. I love myself enough to recognize my boundaries are good and I respect those boundaries. I don't love myself enough yet to say, or maybe it's just a, maybe it's just like a really healthy dose of reality to be like, you need to work on your delivery of your boundaries. Yeah. 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 Anyways. (laughs) So what about you, Christina? <laughs> no, thank you for sharing that, Anna. I feel like that's really important because I've felt like an asshole so many different times these last couple of weeks and and oh my god. I think I can understand the whole codependence thing cuz I struggled a lot with and I've I've mentioned it um on the bonus episode that we put up, but you know, that my codependence since coming out to the farm has been was really bad when I was moving because I wanted the world to be fine and perfect. And I wanted everyone to work at the speed and intensity that I was. And that just wasn't happening. My husband got injured with a really bad dislocation and then everyone else just works at their pace. And I started to recognize how much resistance was creating. It was draining my energy, the resistance to the now and and accepting it and accepting that I wanted it to go faster and it wasn't going faster was just happening. And Ever since then, I've been finding that my codependence has um, dissipating a lot out here. Like, I feel like, That's I, great. Don't, I don't know what it is. Um, my friend described it as white space, like white space in a document or white space on a whiteboard. It's like, I'm, I'm attributing it to that at this point. but Because um, you're in nature? Yeah, there's just more room for things, right? So my kids... I used to to have to like create like a distance between myself and my kids because I knew that if I was around them for too much, I would get angry. Well, I think I've actually been recently reading about this thing called rejection. I'm never going to actually remember the right acronym. It's like rejection dysphoria, rejection, something dysphoria. It's a, it's a thing of ADHD, which I'm kind of becoming more and more realizing that I may have been diagnosed as mild ADHD my whole life, undiagnosed. And this rejection dysphoria, whatever, I don't want to call it anything in particular because it may not be this and I'm self-diagnosing, but it's just this entire idea that like the idea of somebody interrupting you when you're actually concentrating or the idea that whenever you have an experience where like you just get angry really, really quickly. And I read this article this week and I just felt like, I kind of felt like I could love and accept myself a little bit more because I was like, okay, well, maybe I have that. And if that's the case, then, and maybe I don't, but I'm glad that there's actually some dysphoria syndrome thing that like can help explain a little bit of my behavior. I don't know. My dad was telling me, because I was telling my dad about my PMDD, premenstrual dysphoria disorder, dysmorphic disorder. And I was telling him, well, it might not even be that, like it could be PME, which is premenstrual Exacerbation. Um, exacerbation disorder where like whatever you have, whatever underlying mental health issue you have just gets exacerbated in the PMS period. And he goes, you know, ADHD is very under researched, like all things regard like women's health. He's like, this is very under researched in women. 
And a lot of the symptoms you're describing are, are, are how women experience ADHD. Um, really? So it's just that it's, yeah, it's just very fascinating. Yeah. I don't yet know what I have. I, I, I thought I had PMDD and I might have PMDD, but I might have PME with an underlying ADHD or underlying anxiety disorder. I don't know what I have. I just know that things get very hard to manage without meds the week before my period. Yeah. I had a friend who had mm-hmm. a schizophrenic son. He'd gone through the system multiple times without getting actually helped for anything. And so she was a very spiritual person. And she's like, I'm just going to research how you could maybe treat this differently. And well, while medicating and stuff like that, but how could I like, you know, what could I possibly do differently? And there are a bunch of books out there about how you can treat autism differently and how you can treat schizophrenia differently and how you can like, I mean, it comes across as heal, especially um, schizophrenia. That's a result of, of drug use that, that there's evidence that, you know, LSD trips and all these different things, obviously you could consider the pseudoscience at this point, which we'll talk about next time, but that there's evidence. I think there's actually articles, the evidence that says that, that these things can be treated in interesting in different ways. She was doing this years and years ago. And one of the things she told me was that mental health issues are actually just different patterns that our brains have. And that if we say that there's a healthy brain and then there's an unhealthy brain, it's a really, really bad stigma to keep up. Right. And I've always recognized that like being psychic and intuitive in another time or in a time in which if I was brought up in a system of psychology and psychiatry, I literally would have been medicated to death or Or burned or burned or anything like this. And I just have to like love and accept wherever I am with whatever I want to diagnose myself with. It helps anything. All it does is it brings awareness to the fact that this is a thing. And if I do have this thing, then it makes it easier. But all it does is it expands my self-love. And that's all I wanted to say about it is that by recognizing that I, by, by even by just giving something a name, I can love myself more because I can be like, oh, well, this is a thing. And this is a different pattern in my brain that may be experiencing. And so I'm just going to love that more. And then it just goes, it, it goes away. It dissipates it. it it's weird. It's, um, it's interesting how that works. Anyway, that's a lot of hot chaff. <laughs> what are yeah. we talking about well, today? <laughs> today we're talking about, we're going to do a little series here a five episode series on the primal wounds. There are five primal wounds, abandonment, rejection, humiliation, injustice, and betrayal. Mm -hmm. And we all have all of them in us and some are stronger than others. And some come out at different times in our lives. Our teacher who you can check out information on him and our bonus episode on him, SN Goinka has a beautiful, beautiful teaching, which is that when you're doing work on yourself and deep work, his specific actually analogy is a silo, like a silo with rocks and boulders in it. And as you skim off the top, you might reveal a deeper boulder within. So never believe that just because you uncover some quote unquote crap inside you, that it's a regress. It's actually progress. Like you might be doing a lot of deep work on yourself and suddenly you wake up and you're suddenly face to face with this deep, big wound, your abandonment wound, your betrayal wound, whatever. Do not think of it as regress. It is progress because if you hadn't pulled off the surface level stuff, like the little pebbles, you wouldn't have gotten to see the boulder. Or you might be working on with rocks and boulders and then said, and then you come to more pebbles, but 
there's like almost this never ending silo. And just remember if you are doing deep self-help work, deep healing, and you suddenly come across a huge boulder, it is progress. It was there anyways. Okay. You didn't like create it. It was under the surface and you found it. And so now you can work on it and it can come off. So I just want to put that preface out there because a lot of times we're dealing with these wounds and we think I've done it. I'm over it. I got my betrayal wound down. And then like six months later, two years later, boom, someone betrays you, you infer betrayal and you're right back where you were before, but you're not, you've just uncovered a deeper boulder. I also like the spiral analogy. I use that a lot with my clients. It's the idea that you start off on a certain part of the spiral. So say uh, there's a clock, like, so if you were looking at it from above, like nine o'clock on the clock would be betrayal wound, right? And as you spiral up, you get to nine o'clock every single time you do a rotation of the spiral, like every single time that you cycle around, you get to nine o'clock. So you get back to betrayal, but you know, you're spiraling up in theory, right? Like up, down, whatever you, it's all kind of an illusion, but you're progressing like you said, you're progressing like, you, and therefore every single time you get back to nine o'clock, which is the betrayal wound, you may experience it greater or lesser or something like that. But that doesn't mean that you're not still in a movement. You're not just going, it's not a two-dimensional plane. You're not just going around the clock and, oh, here comes nine o'clock again. Oh, here comes nine o'clock again. There's another axis, which is actually showing you that you're making that progress. Well, we're going to talk today. The first one we're going to talk about in this episode is of the abandonment wound. So when we experience any kind of trauma in our childhood or anywhere in our life, we can infer whatever wound we could say we're destined to feel. So say my mother dying, I inferred abandonment. I inferred she has abandoned me. She's left me. Someone could easily be in that situation and infer injustice. This is not fair. All my friends have their living parents. I don't, this is unfair. And Christina, you're a great example. Your mom died. You inferred it as betrayal. My mom's body has betrayed her. The point is the stimulus is going to be what the stimulus is. It's the meaning we give it. And so we ourselves put the meaning on it. So we ourselves are putting betrayal, abandonment, whatever on it. Yep. So I just want to, I just want to preface it with that because you, you don't have to look at your life and think, well, this happened, you know, so-and-so cheated on me. Therefore I should have a betrayal wound. No. You could have felt injustice by that. You, yeah. you know, you didn't have to feel betrayal just because the act was quote unquote betrayal. Right. Whatever. Right. And what's interesting is, you know, to get into like just a slight thing is that some people could ask the question, why do I give something a certain label? And it could be that you're spiraling up from a past life, right? Maybe you're always hitting out like, why did you hit? Why did you interpret this as betrayal? And it could be that your spiral is coming from a different life. That's a really far off explanation. Another explanation could be, why didn't I, my affair feel like betrayal? Well, maybe that's because you were still, you know, you were sitting in your abandonment. You were sitting at 12 o'clock, which is where abandonment was sitting when the affair came up. There was a rock of abandonment under there that was coming up in your spiral and you chose to interpret it as, as 12 o'clock as abandonment, right? Right. So I'm going to talk about the abandonment wound. I'm going to talk about origination of it. And then what I have done to heal mine. And when I say heal mine, it's not like I've healed it and it's done. There are more boulders and pebbles under the surface. I feel like I can recognize it better. And when it does come up, I can love it and accept it. And because of that, there's less resistance that it falls off the surface faster. 
but I'm still, I'm still going to have abandonment stuff and it's, it still comes up. I'm not saying, Oh, look at me. I'm a, I'm a guru. I've mastered my abandonment wound. No, I haven't, but I have done some deep work and I can show you what's worked for me. So going back to the abandonment wound, the abandonment wound has a mask. So each basically the ego hates pain. The mind hates pain. So it says, this sucks. Let me figure out a way to avoid it. So what does the abandonment wound do to avoid pain? It creates dependency. Let me hook onto someone then. Then they can't abandon me. And it might not even be um, another person. So people with abandonment wounds might also become addicted to things. But basically, if you have an abandonment wound, the mass being codependency, and I, I briefly discussed it in, a, in another episode, that codependency is not what you necessarily think of like, oh, I'm going to marry a, an alcoholic or a man in prison. You know, I'm going to marry someone or, or be emotionally involved with someone unavailable. It's more like I'm a codependent. I'm afraid of abandonment. I don't want to lose anyone. So I'm going to make myself indispensable for, so that they will not leave me. I will self-abandon myself in order to be so indispensable. I'm going to be just the, the most amazing person that they want me to be. I'm going to figure out what they want and I'm going to deliver it. And I'm going to abandon myself in doing it. I'm also going to focus on healing them and fixing them so that they don't ever want to leave me. And I'm going to focus on fixing and healing them but not heal and fix myself and then expect them to heal and fix me and then be super pissed when they don't. It's also a, a game of, I'm going to pretend that I'm emotionally available and I want intimacy, but I'm really actually scared of intimacy. So I will find someone who's unavailable in some way so that I don't have to actually ever be intimate, but I can pretend that I want to be. And so a lot of people with abandonment wounds have grown up in a home where a parent was absent or abandoned them. And it doesn't have to be through death. It can be through workaholism, mental illness, emotional unavailability, neglect. Like there's a hundred and one ways for someone to abandon someone while they're still alive. You know, you got that going on. So the main issue with the codependent is fear of being alone, fear of being left, fear of being abandoned. Is there anything? <laughs> Keep going. No, so, that's amazing. No, that's okay. an amazing. I, okay. I was just like marveling at your explanation of codependence. Like you can tell that you've looked okay. at it to such a massive degree. So <laughs> keep going. Okay. Now I'm going to talk about how I removed a huge boulder of my abandonment or, and just became more aware of it. So our shaman Robbie is anti-drug, anti-alcohol. So when I tell this story, please understand I was not under the influence of drugs in any way, but Robbie has has shown Christina and I that inside of us, we have what is called the dragon or a dragon. And it's kind of like our wild woman self. So I was going on a walk one day and I, I was talking to my higher consciousness, which I'll explain how to do that in another episode, but I was talking to my higher consciousness and I said, I really want to understand my abandonment wound. You know, what can I do? And I got the answer, summon your dragon. So I'm walking and I'm like, all right, let me summon my dragon. And poof, out of the blue, I see, you know how a snake swims like this, like, a, like an S on the, on the um, horizontal plane? Well, it came swimming like a vertic on the vertical plane. You know, beautiful, beautiful dragon oh, came. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. And riding on its back was me. It was the wildest version of me. It was me as if I had never worn sunscreen. So my skin was tan and leathery. 
I was shirtless. My hair had never been dyed. So I had never worn makeup. So my hair was just like, you know, gray and frizzy and long. It was like the most wild and I want to say virginal, but like untainted, untamed version of me. And she was holding in her hand a trident. And she shows up and she's me. And I'm like, whoa, this is like the fiercest, most powerful version of me. And whoa, like she's awesome, fearless. And I'm like, what do I need to do to integrate you more into my world? Like, how can I be more like you? Like, how can I be abandonment proof, basically strong? She tells me, and this is like, I feel like hearing this might come across as hateful or or selfish, but it's not at all the intention. She says to me, she says, to be more like me or to integrate me more, you have to be okay with letting go of your children and your husband. Because in my fear of abandonment, I also have a fear of abandoning others. It's like an inverse. And I'm so scared that if I'm totally free and wild, that I would like leave my responsibilities behind. And she's like, you have to be okay with the idea that of leaving your children, not in the sense of like, I'm going to pack up and leave, but like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die and leave them behind and, and abandon them. Like my mom abandoned me. And she made me like, imagine a world where my children didn't have me. And it was so hard and I was crying and it was the heart. It was probably the hardest like mental image exercise I've ever done. Like imagining me leaving my children. And she reminded me of that Khalil Gibran quote, which is your children are not your children. They're life's longing for themselves. They come through you, but not from you. And she's like, you have got to trust your children. You have got to see that your children are going to be okay without you. Like your children come from the creator and they're going to be fine without you. Just like you're fine without your mom. Like you are ultimately your children are stronger than you think. And you need to be okay with leaving them. And I did that and it was really hard and I was crying. But at the end of it, I was like, you know what? My kids are going to be okay without me. They are resilient and they have themselves to, to fall back on. And it was like facing that ultimate fear of abandoning my kids. I feel like I really made peace with abandonment and realized like my kids are going to be okay without me. Does that make sense? It it wasn't, it was this sense of like, they're going to be okay without me. So it's okay. Like, I just felt this piece of like, it's okay. Ultimately it's okay. No, I will never abandon my kids. No, I have no plans of dying. No, I have no plans of leaving them, but just to just be okay. Knowing that if God forbid it happened, they're going to be okay. They belong to life. They're not, they don't belong to me. That's exactly it. Right. And by thinking that we can prevent trauma in our child, children, even though it's to a certain extent, there are actions we can do that prevent trauma, but, but thinking that we are responsible for protecting our children from life, whether that includes, you know, things that they have prescribed in their life, like whether it was before they were born or whatever, like think about how the, the pain that both you and I have experienced has propelled us into our spiritual path. Imagine denying that to your children, like that then becomes their own path, but it's like, it's not about like you said, 
they belong to life and they deserve to experience life and everything that it has. And if we take possession of them and say, well, we're going to keep you in a box and protect you from all of this, even our own abandonment of you, then it's kind of, it's, it's denying them the life that they came here to experience. Um, Yeah. That's uh, again, that's, that's even a harsher view than whatever you can say. And I think it's interesting reflecting back on what you said, Anna, of like, um, and you said this to me last night when you were talking about discussing this part is that it feels so socially unacceptable for a mother to ever consider not being with her children, right? Like, it's like, it's one of those things that, that we internalize as mothers, that the whole thought of us ever not wanting to be a mother or purposely leaving our children is like the greatest sin possible. And yet sometimes that exercise, whether it's actually doing it or not, even if it's just in your head, gives you the freedom and autonomy to recognize that you are your own person and that motherhood is really fucking hard. And sometimes if you deny yourself in that experience, if you deny your wild woman, if you deny your, the essence of a part of you to become a mother, then you are denying yourself and you're not giving your children the model that they need because you want your children to have their whole selves. So you have to show your whole self. Yeah. I want them to ride their dragon. (laughs) Yeah. I want it to be outside of them. I want it to be in them. And by dissociating you riding your dragon, they don't see that part of you. And so they don't understand they have it in themselves. So the best model we can be is our whole selves, whether or not that whole self says, Hey, yeah, there's a part of me that could maybe leave you. Another exercise the my dragon me had me do was she had me, it must've been on a different day. I can't remember. I would have had the emotional capacity to do both of these on the same day, which was, she was like, I want you to imagine your husband behind a pane of glass and he can't hear you. And I imagined I was separated by a very thick piece of glass and that he could not hear me or see me on the other side, but I could see him. I couldn't hear him. And it was like this age progressive thing where he got like older and sicker in front of my eyes. And I was on the other side of the glass and I could do nothing to help him. And I watched him die and it was really fucking hard being cut off from your husband, not being able to help him or be with him and have him leave you through death and recognize that you are okay. Like you've got your own back. You've always had your own back. You will always, you were, you, you were a whole person before you met him. You are a whole person with him and you will be a whole person without him. And it was just kind of recognizing that like, I, I wrap up so much of my identity in taking care of others and to recognize that I can exist without them. I think it makes me actually even love them more because if I'm autonomous, I can honor their autonomy too. Um, So that was one way that I really, I think, got a big chunk of my boulder out. Another way was, which we're going to link in the show notes, was this rejection-proof, deep, deep, deep hypnosis to the inner child by Marissa Peer, which was dealing with the rejection wound, but it was the same concept, which was like, you take your inner child in your arms and you say, you are mine. I am your parent now, and I get to decide what you feel or don't feel. And I'm never going to leave you and I'm never going to reject you. And I just like when in these moments of my life where I do feel micro, micro trauma of abandonment, like my husband is going to go on on a trip without me. 
And it's totally logical that he's going on a trip and he's not leaving me. I, I get this pang in my chest. Oh my God, he's leaving. He's abandoning me. And I have, I stop and I, and I tell myself, you're feeling abandonment and it's okay. And I will never leave you. I, me, I will not leave you. I am your parent and I will always be with you. Wow. Good work. <laughs> yes. So Chris, I know you, like all the wounds, have it, have an abandonment wound. Can you I tell do. me a little yeah. bit about yours and what you've done? Yeah. So I, I feel like I, I, in some ways, when I started the work, I went through all five of the wounds and I can, I'm going to talk about that um, in the rejection episode more, but I went through all five of the wounds uh, in this whole kind of process last year. And I kept kind of thinking that I had dealt with abandonment, which is really funny because to me, it was like what I was so acute for me after my mom died and like kind of going in the, in the years after that, uh, you know, and so for some reason I kind of was like, I've, I've done that. I don't really need to go into that. But then Anna was going through, this is the amazing thing that Anna and I go through these parallel journeys, right? Anna started <laughs> talking to me about codependence. I had never actually understood what that meant. Like I'd never, I'd never read anything about it. I had never understood anything about it. And I started to recognize that even though my codependence is tinged a lot with control, which is betrayal, is like the betrayal mask is control. But I started to recognize so much of what Anna was saying. Like what would happen is that like Luke, my husband would go uh, to the grocery store and he's um, a very systematic research kind of guy. So when he goes to the grocery store, it's like an hour and a half to two hours because he's literally reading every single label every single time. Like it's, oh it's just, yeah, it's like, <laughs> but for some reason I, I would, I would be with the kids and I would just get into this, like, I would get really scared because of what I mentioned earlier about this kind of like, un, this kind of scared rage that would come up whenever I was like afraid that I could lose control of my kids, or I was like afraid of being alone with my kids, not because I thought I would hurt them physically or anything, but I was just afraid that if something happened, I couldn't handle it. Like I just... I, I didn't trust myself for a lot of reasons and I didn't trust other things, but it was all irrational. So whenever Luke left, I was always just like, oh my God, he has to come back and save me from anything that could potentially happen. Like this just total fear of the worst that could possibly happen and how I couldn't handle it. I just assumed I couldn't handle it by myself. And so he would go on these grocery marathon grocery trips and <laughs> I, I would get so... I get so upset because sometimes you go to like multiple stores too, because he was just trying to cater to my needs. Like literally this man is like amazing and is like, I have to go to the farmer's market because she wants this. And now I have to go to Publix because we have to get cat food that I have to go to like, he would just like be so thorough in his action that I, I, you know, but I would be sitting there. Where's Luke? Where's Luke? Where's Luke? Where's Luke? Like, just like, because he, he's not a big communicator either. Right. So he would be going to all these stores and I'd be like, oh my God, he's not here. And I would get so bleeping angry with him. I would just be like, he's not communicating with me. He doesn't love me. He's left me. He's abandoned me. He's he abandoned, abandoned me you. to whatever is possibly going to happen here. It was like the neuroses around the feelings that I felt when my husband was doing something that needed to be done and <laughs> and didn't tell me when he was going to be home. And I flipped. I just like, I, I just, I felt so scared, scared of what could happen. And I didn't think I didn't trust myself and I didn't. And like I said, I need to be really clear. It's not that I didn't trust myself 
because I thought that I was going to do something like physically bad or I was going to do something. I just, I didn't keep, trust myself to keep my cool. Okay. Yeah. You could say that's like an emotionally abusive thing to yell at your kids, but don't, I don't, don't consider myself don't that. <laughs> judge yourself here. Yeah, I won't. I won't. I just like, I'm just like, oh, you yeah. could totally go down that rabbit hole. If I didn't trust myself with my kids because I thought I was going to yell at them. But also that stems very t- like closely to what we were saying earlier of like this belief that you can traumatize your kids. So the moment for me for this abandonment wound was and codependence was amazing because Anna told me that about codependence. And I was like, oh shit, I might have that. Right. Yeah. I we were be- like, we must have it. <laughs> Wait, it's gotta be here somewhere. Like, where is it? Yeah, it's, somewhere, must have it's somewhere it. in my little drawer trunk thing of everything. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we went to our place in Atlanta, Jeju sauna, and it was during COVID, but we were very careful. I'm just going to say that like Anna's got her, her mask and her shield and I had my mask on and and Anna told me about an experience that, that she had recently had when she broke through her codependence thing with her husband. And Anna, do you want to s- explain kind of the story that you gave me when we were at JG? Oh, this, the story is my husband went out to dinner with the one person on this planet that I do not like. <laughs> and I was so upset and I felt so abandoned because he took this man to my favorite restaurant <laughs> And I'm like, how could you take him of all people to my restaurant, our special restaurant? He's like, like, I didn't know you owned it. I didn't know that was, you know, your restaurant. And I'm like, how could you do this? And I was like, convinced my husband had abandoned me, uh, left me at home with the kids while he ate dinner with this person that I like could not, you know, could not, a person who on another day, I'll explain how I ho-a-pono-ponoed and forgave him and all, but I don't naturally have to interact with him regardless. But the point is I felt extremely abandoned by that. And I was really angry at my husband and he took me in his arms. He's like, I have room for you to throw all your anger on me. And I have room for you to blame me every time you're unhappy and I'll be there and you can do it to the end of time if that's what you need to do. But for your own sake, I hope you see that you are in control of your own happiness and you get to see that when you're upset, it's because you're upset. It's actually not because of me. And if you want to blame me for your upset, go ahead. But I want you to know that your upset belongs to you. Yeah. He said, he said that you have more, he's like, you have more pain than almost anyone I've ever met. He said something along those lines. And it was oh, that yeah. line that I like internalized myself. Right. Cause we're so similar. Yeah. I was just like, Oh my God. Yeah. You have more pain inside you than anyone else. And if you want to throw it on me and blame me for it, you can but I want you to own your own pain. I will hope for you one day you own your own pain and realize like you're in control of your own pain. Yeah. And man, when I heard that, it was like, I didn't even need for my husband to tell me that because my husband had just told me that through you, right? Like it was like, I I have this belief that we're all in the same, like everyone's in our garden and like Eric telling Anna that was the same as Eric telling me that, or the same as Luke telling me that, like, it was just, it was exactly what 
Luke could have said to me. And I got it. I just understood it. I just understood that every time I tried to control him or every time that I tried to blame him for not communicating with me, I was expecting him to be the savior of my pain. I was expecting him to save me because I didn't want to have to experience the pain and scared and abandonment that I felt when he wasn't around or even when he was around. And I just, I just like, I got it. I got it for the first time ever. And I remember after that, I explained to Luke, I was like, it was like something changed in me in that moment that you told me that story. And I came home to Luke and I was just like, I am so sorry. (laughs) I am so sorry for throwing my pain onto you and saying that it's you who is causing me pain. And actually it's me like this whole time. It's just, just me. It's me projecting out the pain that I am scared and, and the realization that I am scared to death. Most of the time I, I lost I, I was abandoned at a time in which, and then I was never, that was never replaced. It was arguably never there in the first place. And I just felt as if the world would never take care of me. And I was scared to death to grow up, to actually be like, oh, I am my own parent. And so after that, I did the similar um, hypnosis that you did with recognizing that I couldn't, that, that I was my own parent. And then I could grow up and and do what I needed to do for that. And I have to say that it was a combination of that and then work I did with A Course in Miracles and kind of recognizing that you could never, that I could never be abandoned, not because I could never be abandoned because I was my own parent, but also because I'm already perfect. And so is everybody else. So that's, that was me. That was my uh, story of abandonment and how much Anna's parallel work that she had been done, doing. She was a couple of weeks ahead of me in this process. It just, it broke everything open for <laughs> me. So thank you. Boulder. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Anna. But I just had a bigger boulder. <laughs> well, thank you, Eric too, you know, for like putting up with me, throwing it on him. Cause a lot of, I think a lot of couples, when one person is struggling with a boulder and they're throwing, trying to throw it on the other one, they're like, that's not my boulder. Get it off me. And he's like, you can throw it on me, but it's ultimately not going to help you to do that. Yeah. Or, or their boulder starts to resonate. And then you guys are both like bouldering at the same time. So to speak. Right. Right. And that's the Two thing. Boulders I think, pushing against each other. I think that both of, both of us are blessed with partners who for one way or another have, have gone through a lot of their stuff. Like that was actually something that happened right after that was that I kind of explained this realization to Luke. And as I've said before, like um, Luke is sober and he said, Oh yeah. I mean, this had a lot to do with the betrayal wound, but he's like, Oh yeah. I figured out as soon as I stopped drinking that I couldn't control anything. That <laughs> was just like, Oh, wow. You figured that out when you were yeah. 20 too. Right. Oh, great. Okay. <laughs> or 20. Yeah. If you're struggling with codependency, don't worry so much about the codependency. Heal your abandonment stuff. Because if you can heal your abandonment stuff, the codependency falls off. The codependency is a coping mechanism to keep you from feeling your pain. And when you're able to realize that you can deal with your pain, because you are not going to leave yourself and you are not going to abandon yourself and you've got this, the codependency just falls off because you stop needing other people to save you. The the thing is, is that it's all about self-love. We always talk about that. The bottom of the bucket is self-love. 
And the wounds are access points to recognize how you're not loving yourself fully and you're not accepting yourself fully. And I think that as you know, when all of this comes down to it, if you're in the middle of a process, if you're in the middle of recognizing that you have, that you're uncovering some sort of trauma or some sort of whatever is like, always go back to self-love. Whenever I've been in the middle of one of these processes and it's been really hard and I feel really down or depressed or like I get some kind of offshoot feeling, I just repeat, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you in my head. And it becomes a mantra that just like, that helps get through any process because that's ultimately what we're aiming for is total self-love, right? So yeah, that's I like thought. that. Thank you for listening to this episode of This Spiritual Fix. We are still looking for two interviewees. If you have a resonance in humiliation or injustice, send us an email, this.spiritual.fix at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to talk with you. Thank you. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.